Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, America, 2100. Look at this calendar pad. October 16th, 2100. Things to do today. Bring in robot for six-month checkup. Oh my god, it is 2100. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's done a full calendar year of episodes. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Eh, just pain at the pump. Pain at the pump. Speaking of, very funny you brought that up. I just thought I'd bring us full circle and have two catchphrases for for anyone who hasn't listened to every single series we've done. Pay at the Pump, famous by D.B. Sweeney from Harsh Realm. That's right. I went to a retrospective screening at a theater to watch Fire in the Sky, also starring D.B. Sweeney. Oh, yeah. I remember Fire in the Sky. What year was that? About 97? No, I, th- I think it's like a 91 or 92, maybe. Oh, is it that early? It's quite young in it. And I feel like that it was in that window where people were really afraid of, like, you could make a serious, earnest movie about being abducted by aliens. What a time to live, huh? What a time to live. It, it, you know what? Not a great movie. Pretty funny to watch in a theater. Best part, though, some guy in the middle of it, we were all laughing at how dumb it was. Some guy in the middle of the theater, in the middle of the movie, started shouting out, I don't see what's so funny. <laughs> that is funny and then after the movie we all left and everyone's standing in the lobby being like were you the one who shouted that and they're like no um that's funny um two quick things on that uh fire in the sky came out in 1993 so it's right in between the two dates we thought pretty close um and <laughs> your your story reminds me of one time i went to one of those um i guess it's like a planetarium thing it was actually a, a movie theater but they were it was like a star presentation yeah and they were like showing them on the ceiling and that sort of thing and uh I don't know how it beca- how it came around, but they were talking about the different galaxies, you know, how many, you know, stars there are and, and just the magnitude of everything. And the guy doing the presentation was like, has anyone been like abducted by aliens? And then one of the people that were I was with put his hand up and had to tell his story of an alien abduction with his family. And it was the most embarrassing thing ever because it also was, it didn't make any sense, his abduction story, but he was very proud of it. It was like one of these things where like they were driving and they thought they saw something and he, and he finished the story with and we know it was an alien because we didn't talk on the way home and my family is very talkative <laughs> that was like his evidence irrefutable no judge would would throw it out of court yeah exactly right so anyways <laughs> you know something for everyone all right you want to talk about america 2100 oh yeah i'd really like to this is this is such an odd odd duck did you know anything about this before we watched it you brought it to my attention uh, when we had for, to first discussed talking about doing it on the show. I had no idea. Not only had I never heard of it, I don't think I'd heard of anyone in the show. Like, I, it's just one of these weird, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows knows of this or, or remembers it fondly. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, clearly one person does because we watched it on YouTube and someone took the time to upload it. But I'd also, I think I found it on a list of failed pilots at some point and I And I ended up putting it on our list because I saw it was on YouTube. Yeah, I found no reviews of this, no fan sites, no TV guide mentions, uh, no pictures, no articles, nothing. No no uh, erotic fan fiction, that's for sure. <laughs> Although it's right for it. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch Chester and Bill make some kisses? <laughs> right, exactly. Max is watching. 
<laughs> well, it aired on ABC July 24th, 1979. So it would have been a summer, an attempt at a summer replacement. Yeah, it seems to be based on kind of the some of the stuff we saw around like the sort of precursor to the show. It seems to be like something that would air around Mork and Mindy or something. I looked at a couple of the shows that were airing at that time, and it was a really interesting time in TV. Like, if I can, I can tell you some of the shows. MASH, Dukes of Hazard, Mork and Mindy, Three's Company, Charlie's Angels, Different Strokes, WKRP in Cincinnati, Little House on the Prairie, Fantasy Island. All those shows are very different and unique. And obviously, there's, you know, I'm sure there's other cheaper facsimiles of these shows on the air. But at this time period, it really almost seemed like anything could be a show if you could literally have a show about an alien landing on earth as well as two guys who ride around a car and a piece about growing up in the prairies all at the same time in tv it seems like anything you know could be made not this though apparently not not this yeah although this really does it's like it's just like sleeper if you've ever seen the woody allen movie sleeper except not funny yeah well it is basically the pilot to futurama Oh, that's right. I didn't think of that. That's true. We'll get into it's it. Very, very similar. But yeah, it's. It, I was like crazy how much this shares the same DNA. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought of that. It really, really is similar. Well, before we get into it, I'm just going to give you a quick little day in history about what was happening around July 24th, 1979. This week was the biggest week for disco on the Billboard Top 100 chart. <laughs> it had wow. the top six spots at the beginning of the week and the top seven spots at the end, including Donna Summers bad girls Mm-hmm. yeah she was big yeah big big week for disco when this was out disco really uh burned bright for a real short amount of time huh like a science fiction sitcom that's right i think it's even saying too much to say this is the disco of uh, science fiction sitcoms <laughs> it wishes yeah all right here's the imd summary for america 2100 two everyday schlubs are inadvertently frozen for 120 years awakening to a wacky future run by a robot named max did you pick schlub or was it actually say did it actually say schlub? that was that was the summary on imdb it's, it's accurate they're schlubs i i really enjoyed the show starts off with the actual intertitle that says prologue yeah wasn't that weird have you ever seen that before i don't think i've ever seen that in anything we've watched i was just like oh a prologue Good. deal me in <laughs> oh i should mention this is our first 30 minute show we've ever watched our first comedy and my favorite part, uh, first show that has a laugh track. Yeah, it's true. It was a real different experience watching something with this sort of format. A very pleasant one, I must say. I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, we, we've talked back and forth off the air about it. You know, what we liked watching, what we didn't like watching, what was a little tougher. And we just coming off of Dune, but like Dune was a long watch. Like it was four hours that felt like 40 hours. This was 20, 28 minutes that felt like five minutes. <laughs> You're not wrong. It opens up in a rundown hotel room in Fargo, North Dakota. Is that where they are? Yeah, that's where they are. Fargo, North Dakota. That's why it's so cold there. You know what's funny? I just assumed it was New York City. They do mention it later. I also kind of was wondering if it was New York, except at some point they there's a joke where he holds up his polo shirt. And he's like, are you stealing my polo shirt? He's like, no, because your polo shirt's from New York and has a little cockroach instead of a pony on it. Like, Right, right. There was some weird joke about New York and cockroaches. And of the two guys, one of the guys should have been played by a young Jay Leno. Yeah, Chester? Absolutely. Yeah. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, should be Jay Leno, 100%. Oh, well, they really missed out on that. 
Uh, Chester, what we see when we come into this hotel room is basically giving up on his dreams and threatening to move back to Pittsburgh to work at his uncle Irwin's used refrigerator business. That was like the joke. Like the the audience really went for that one. But the joke just itself is used refrigerator business. I guess the 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 joke is that's that's a bad business. It doesn't seem that bad. Nothing's ever been funnier than a used refrigerator business. <laughs> yeah, they they died laughing when they mentioned that. <laughs> Uh, but his friend Bill kind of talks him out of leaving that night to go back home. How does he talk him out? What What does he say to talk him out of leaving? When he just convinced that they should just go to sleep, you mean? Yeah, what are, the, what are his two reasons he shouldn't leave the uh, hotel room? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Tell me what they are. Uh, one, it's very cold outside. Right. And two, he's not wearing any pants. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. That, that was a setup to the joke. And then the guy looks down and is like, I don't have pants. Like, slide whistle. <laughs> but yeah, he... He's like, stay the night, you can leave tomorrow, and Chester's complaining about how cold it is, he doesn't know he can sleep, so uh, thankfully Bill has a solution. Um, yeah, so he, he wants uh, Chester, right, his friend Chester? Yes. He wants him to take a sleeping pill uh, and then drink some warm milk and just sleep it off, essentially. Yeah, sleep through the night. He's got these nighty night pills. What I liked was how small their apartment was. Like, I know they really try to push that they're poor, but it was like, their beds are in the same room as where the 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 counter is for the oven and everything um it's like it's a really 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 small bachelor apartment i think we'll get into this a little later but i think in retrospect what we're supposed to realize is there's some sort of traveling showman and this might be a hotel is that right oh i didn't think that i thought that was their part well because here's the thing they uh, this is a real spoiler for the uh listener you find out later in the episode that they're they're comedians yeah they want to be in show business yeah they want to be in show but it was a weird really up to that point you don't really have any indication of that i don't know why i just thought it was odd that that was their the jobs they had like they just didn't give them normal jobs i think what we we're supposed to read into in this opening scene with him talking about not giving up on his dreams and moving back home to pittsburgh and then being in this like rundown one room place is is i think they're supposed to be like traveling working comedians trying to make it and they're like in north dakota just doing a milk run i don't even know where they'd be performing but I just think that the writers looked at these two guys they cast and thought, no one's going to take them as anything other than struggling comedians. I mean, he looks like Jay Leno. Oh, burn on Leno. <laughs> um. <laughs> so they go to sleep. And what happens? Luke? Well, I like I like when he's trying to get him to take those pills. Chester says, I, I don't do drugs, but he kind of eventually takes one. I'm going to read some of the jokes. Some of the jokes I thought were very dumb, but very funny. All right. When, when he ends up taking one of these sleeping pills, he uh, turns the bill and he says, if I get hooked, you got to be my connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know why that tickled me so much. But yes, they take these pills. They kick in immediately. Yeah, they're really good pills. They're passing out and the camera, as they as they pass out their beds, the camera pulls up and looks toward the stove in this little hotel room. But there's just the milk bubbling over. Just boiling over. Milk's just boiling over everywhere. And then hard cut. Chester and Bill are lying in plastic medical beds surrounded by doctors with futuristic eye masks. And and what I like about this is like they start waking up or they at least look asleep at the moment, but immediately, which you assume as a doctor, just goes, essentially goes, bad news. You guys have been asleep for 120 years. Yeah. Like that's how they wake them up. What, but what I wish they had said right there is you've been genocized. Genocized? Yeah, because it's just like Genesis. Just like Genesis. It's true. I would have liked this if in Genesis... When they woke that guy up, what was his name? Dirk Handsome? Yeah, Dirk Handsome, yeah. He had the same line as Chester when they wake them up. Or maybe Bill said this. But they're like, we have a tremendous shock for you. You've been asleep for 120 years. 
and they just turn to look at each other and they're like, boy, those nutty nights are some pills. <laughs> I know. They just, at least, it's one of those funny things where uh, just in the sitcom world as it is, and not just this sitcom, but, you know, ones that are better written, everyone in sitcoms never can stop making jokes. And I, I get that's the point of it. It's supposed to be funny. But there's there's no sense of realism at all as to that would be your line. You're just like, you've just realized this horrible, horrible thing. And you're just like, oh, time for a hilarious joke. It's like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. Like scream or something. <laughs> it was a, a nicely underplayed line where they're like, can you believe it? So then we cut to the opening credits, which are insane. Amazing opening credits. Swelling orchestral music that like slips immediately into goofy slapstick comedy music. Yeah, it's, it's as if they tried to synthesize everything I found annoying about certain types of music and they put it right to the theme song for me. <laughs> so this is not going on your ringtone. No, 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 definitely not. Great opening credits, though. We kind of see this miniature work. They have like these retro future cities and bubbles and this like badlands. Weren't you kind of disappointed we don't see any of that in the show? I mean, probably episode two had a lot more of it. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, lots of like computers with flashing lights. It's, it's kind of like a fun intro to like what is going to be a pretty clearly broad science fiction comedy. Basically, what you need to know, this is kind of like Mork and Mindy minus Robin Williams. Right. Like how funny would Mork and Mindy be if you just took away Robin Williams? Uh, can I tell you the truth? I've never seen an episode of Mork and Mindy. No. You know what? I don't know how well it aged. When I was a kid, uh, it was in the cycle of... Um, you know syndicated sitcoms so i watched it and thought it was great because he said funny he said nanu nanu that's funny <laughs> and he you know like he had a son who grew up in an egg and all this you know it was jonathan winters i thought that was all great i don't know how well it's aged at this point but it it was a show that was written around the manic energy of Rome williams this is written around the non-energy of these two non-guys <laughs> i mean it's true i didn't know any of the names of any of the like three leads of this show it, t- it took me a while to figure out who the Max computer was. I know. That's a big uh, reveal when it finally happens. <laughs> Anyways, we'll get to it. But the show opens essentially in what is basically a Jetsons-esque future apartment. Yeah, that's a good way of saying. But what I like about it, though, it's a future apartment. It's 120 years. I don't know if we've mentioned that um, in the future. So America 2100. Um, but the apartment is still looks like a 1970s apartment because it has like the sunken in stairs and everything. They've just added like... On the 70s decor, there's a little bit of, like, blinking light. Right, right, right. I honestly, I was surprised. I was like, this looks like a live-action Jetsons. Like, it almost seems like that's as far as they went. They just pulled up those drawings and were like, that's it. That's all you need. Yeah, well, they nailed it. They really did. Chester and Bill are sort of pushed into this apartment, and uh, they're in these, like, short little green robes, and they're trying to figure out some information about where they are, and they, and they find a uh, day planner sitting on a desk, which, non-electronic, it's a book day planner, 2100. Yeah, and but but what it says today is it's it's like a like to do list, and I, I believe it says things to do today. Bring in robot for six month checkup. like that sort of. I thing. mean, that makes sense. It's just like Dorian and almost human. Yeah, he needed to go in for his checkup. But you know what I thought though when they met, they mentioned that joke, and that's about as good as the jokes get in this. I thought there'd be a lot of jokes at the expense of the future. Like I thought we'd see a lot of weird little technology things that they have to play with. But there's really none of that in this. There's no, like, them playing with lasers or not knowing how to use a computer. None of that really is is a gag in this. No, no gadget gags. Not in this episode. (laughs) Gadget gags. That's it. I like, though, that it's also October 16th, 2100. So it's like the end of the year of the 2100. So I guess they only had a few more weeks left of the year. It's every couple days. And next next season will be 2200. (laughs) Or 2101, excuse me. There you go. (laughs) 
Um, but essentially, this is the home of uh, Dr. Harland, uh, doctor for the government. She arrives very quickly and kind of starts explaining to them what's happened over a dinner of uh, little green bricks. I, I actually just thought they looked like um, like uh, sandwiches with a crust cut off that happened to be green. But they really they really act as if it's the most disgusting thing they've seen. Oh, and because they're, they're petroleum sandwiches. Synthesized petroleum protein. Yeah. Yum, yum, yum. I guess that's kind of like canola oil. Yeah, it's fine. It's like eating a Twizzler. Yeah, but she tells them how they... Is this where she tells them uh, how they... Got to the future? Got to the future? Yes, it is, which was amazing. Well, okay, here's the thing. Look, maybe maybe you can explain this. I don't know if it, it entirely works out. So what she says to them is that they when they took the pill and they went to sleep, uh, at the same time, they froze to death and asphyxiated from the fire that was caused by uh, the milk burning over. But like, it doesn't explain to me how they got frozen and then why they were kept and why they would have kept them for uh, like 120 years. Well, they froze because it's so cold in North Dakota. Yeah, I got that. But they asphyxiated at the same time because the boiling milk blew out the flame on the gas stove, filling the apartment with gas. So they also suffocated at the same time, which was the perfect storm to keep them preserved, apparently. But why would they want to preserve these guys? That's not clear. They do say that they used um, a, a new form of cell regeneration on them, and they're not the first people they tried it on. Right. They're the first successful ones. They're the first ones that didn't get freezer burn. Right. <laughs> freezer burn. Like tech a, war. Tech war, yeah. They, they're the first ones to come out without nightmares out of the freezer. That's what happened in tech war. I assume these are all interrelated. Nightmares that are brought on by Shatner's daughter. <laughs> That's just a joke for anyone who listened to the, the, the Tech War episode. Final episode of Tech War, a Shatner Fest. And now that they're in the future, they're currently residing in the U.S. Capitol. Oh, yeah. And it is... Uh, oh, I wrote it down. Oh, where is it, Luke? I wrote it down. It's a classic joke. Uh, where, where is it? It's like New Jersey. Oh, no, it's Newark, Yeah, right? they're in Newark, New Jersey, to which one of them says, Oh, you guys fixed it up nice. Poor New Jersey, huh? This is a classic time when you could really pick on New Jersey, I think. Can you cannot pick on New Jersey anymore? I don't know if it's quite the... I, I don't know if it was ever quite a cesspool. I wasn't, I'm not old enough to quite remember, but I feel like at some point people really thought it was like real real garbage. Hmm. Although about, oh, well. about this time, this would be about the time that New York... Didn't probably Gerald Ford was telling New York to like die or something. Oh, well, it was a fun time for everyone in the 70s. Donna Summer was running up the charts. <laughs> um, speaking of presidents... The U.S. is now run by their beloved leader, Dr. Jerome Blattner, through his creation, Max. So he runs the country, but he does it through a computer who he is, which we will find. He has given not only his voice, but his mannerisms and personality to. So essentially, once he dies, this computer will just still be like him. Yeah. And in this sort of explanation period of the show, anytime either Max or Bill asks a question about Max... Apparently, audibly in the room, ominous music starts playing, like, dun, 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 that causes them to stop having the conversation. I actually thought that was kind of funny. It didn't make any sense, but I, I thought it was one of the funnier things because, you know, it does cut them off in things. Um, and I thought that it's a funny running joke for the episode. The big thing that Max does in the future, though, is he invented something called life designation, mm -hmm. where on your seventh birthday, Max assigns you your role in society for the rest of your life. Yeah. This in particular is very Futurama-esque. My memory of Futurama isn't uh, perhaps where it should be. Is it, Was that the same thing they had there? Well, in the pilot, Fry, 
freezes and wakes up in the future. And his big dilemma in the first episode is he discovers that you're assigned a career when you get to the future and they don't let you do anything else. And he's always been a delivery boy and he doesn't want to go back to being a delivery boy. But at the end of the episode, he ends up still being a delivery boy, but he gets to discover that in the future, you're going to fly a spaceship if you're a delivery boy. Right. That's kind of the premise of this episode is just like being forced into a career when you wake up in the future. Do you think there was a little bit of uh, a Cold War uh, anti-communism in this idea? Almost certainly. There's a lot of talk about, I mean, they keep bringing up, like, I actually think Dr. Harlan in this opening says this exact line, apropos to nothing, which is why it's kind of funny. I just want to assure you that everything here is wonderful and no one is unhappy. Right. It is the idea that uh, there's something rotten in this future and it's a lack of free will. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we don't get introduced to Max yet, but we get uh, told why he's important and how he's running things. And have we mentioned that, that really these two guys just have all information given to them through this Dr. Harlan? She's there too. That's what she's there, just to pass information along and I guess look pretty? Well, the first episode, or sorry, this first scene of the, in the future really is totally expositional. Like once all this information is out and they kind of have a sense of how the future works, I believe... The scene ends with Chester and Bill getting very unsettled and then Bill saying, check, please, and uh, (laughs) going to open the door. And two guards are waiting outside to drag them off to see Max. Yeah, and they wear like these black shiny masks and these weird silver helmets that are, I don't even know, they're like very slopey. Yeah, they're very stormtrooper-y or something. Mm -hmm. But finally, we're brought to Max, who comes out of, it looks like he's living in a closet with a really uh, fancy flashing door, which rises up to reveal him. Yeah, it's a great reveal. And he's this very wobbly built robot with a dome head, kind of from Lost in Space or something. Yeah, he looks a little bit like the robot from Rocky four, uh, Rocky 3 or 4, whatever one it was. Do you remember which Rocky movie had the robot in it? I haven't seen any of the Rocky movies either. Oh, yeah. Anyways, one of them has a robot for no reason. It looks a little bit like I've that. heard about this. Doesn't his it's, it's trainer's robotic butler or something? Yeah, it's it was not a high point for the series. Is that one the parody ep- the parody version? <laughs> it's got to be number four because it's the most ridiculous of them. It's to- that's insane that that happens. Anyway, this insane robot comes out, and here here's the final reveal. Someone who wasn't revealed to us in the cast list off the start. The robot is voiced by Sid Caesar. Yeah, the first thing I wrote, and I, and I don't feel bad now. I was like. Is he doing like a really stereotypical Jewish accent? It's very Catskills comedian. Like that's like yeah. what it is, is just like all one-liners and like uh, insult comedy. It's kind of amazing in a way. Do you think this was a really big get for them in 1979? Like, I mean, I don't think this was the peak of uh, Sid Caesar's career, but do you think this was enough of a name that like this was what they're really going to sell the pilot on? I think so. I think you'd really be like, and Sid Caesar as the robot Max. Right, right, right. In fact, I'm surprised he wasn't in the opening credits. When the credit for Max came up, it just said Max and didn't reveal this, like, turn. I'm not sure if maybe that was a tease for the show, but... They probably could have used any help they got. For sure. Max kind of tells them all about how he's personally solved all the 20th century's problems, and, uh, you know, the boys are still skeptical and are, they don't really believe him. They, they think he's nuts, to which uh, Max the Robot replies, If that's nuts, then I'm a cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Max also, uh, in proper 1974s form, sexually harasses Dr. Harlan by talking about her shapely body. Yeah. He, but he, he does make a, a, a couple of sort of uh, online comments throughout the episode. It is very, very 1979, like... She's there. She's just being abused by a robot for some reason. 
Well, they they fixed all the problems, but not sexual harassment. That's the one 20th century problem that wasn't a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyway, Bill gets a little snippy with Max, and uh, the scene ends with Max, all these lights start flashing on his head, and he sort of, like, chases them around the room in, like, a real, like, Three Stooges slapstick moment where they're like, the robot's chasing us. It was almost like it was like a Benny Hill sort of end, and that's how we take it right to the commercial with people running after each other in hilarious fashion. Yeah, into the commercial break where this YouTube video had actual commercials. Yeah, that was pretty fun, wasn't it? I will only comment on the one that came off first because it was a very racist gum commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guy is um, dressed in the most sensitive way of an indigenous person with um, like a headdress, uh, the... face paint. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, and he couldn't be, and he couldn't be like more of a like wasp angles actually. yeah he's the whitest man on earth it's insane and what's more insane about the commercial though is he is playing an actor playing this part in a commercial and it's all happening between takes of the commercial they're shooting do you remember what the gum was i don't know i can't remember it was like i don't remember but it was the gum with the chewy with the flavor blast in the center because they because they injected flavor mm. into the center of the gum yeah that's all i ask for my gum a blast in your mouth yeah perfect just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, come back from uh, commercial break. It's the next day. Max is there. He's doing his um, life designation assignments for seven-year-olds. And we get to see three different little seven-year-olds come out and be assigned their careers. Do you, uh, did you catch those three careers? Uh, you know, I, I didn't because the only thing I wrote down was the third person's because I had to rewatch that a couple times to figure out what exactly he said because I was like, was this a really offensive thing that was said there? Absolutely. Or the first two, Luke? One was a chartered accountant. Right. And then I think the second was a doctor. Right. So as two little children walk out, he's like, you're a doctor. They're like, thank you, Max. And they walk off. And then the third kid kid walks out. And did I get this right? He said, he was like, oh, no, you're going to be at a female impersonator. Yeah, that's what he assigns this kid. Female impersonator. Yeah. And, and the joke is that... He has to dress up as a woman. That's what's funny. Is that the joke? That's the joke, I guess. I guess that's the joke. Yeah. 1979. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so the kids go, and they've now got their things, and uh, Chester and Phil have to line up because they're being treated as if they're children because they need jobs. I don't know why. What's the point of bringing these people back from uh, the past just to bring them into society and make them work? Just... Like, you think they'd have, you know, they, you think there's something else to do with them after... Uh, you know countless hours and money and everything that went into bringing them back but no oh well uh, just to prove you can i guess i guess <laughs> yeah did you like their costumes when they come out to get their jobs were they wearing the green outfits they were in like no no they were wearing the suspenders they were wearing right? like future overalls with big white turtlenecks <laughs> yeah they sort of look like um remember in the uh <laughs> in the late 80s the super mario brothers uh, Abs- with Lou Albano? absolutely <laughs> yeah a little bit like that huh <laughs> Max assigns them their, uh, I don't know, future mandated jobs. They're going to be exhibits in a museum. And uh, and Phil really uh, uh, really gets irritated at this because he wants to prove that he's an entertainer. He wants to be in show business. Yeah, that's his dream. He's going to be in show business. He's going to be some, some sort of like museum attraction. And Max, for some reason, is kind of impressed by this blow up. He says, kid, uh, you got spunk. Show us what you got. Yeah, and then we unfortunately have to see like one of their bits yeah they start doing a little sketch for us where they put their like they go back to back and like cross their arms and then chester starts talking he's like 
I'm a park ranger. And then Bill comes out and is just like, I'm a chipmunk. I can't even remember what the joke is. Something to do with nuts for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was one of those like, yeah, aren't you in like an insane asylum? He's like, yeah, because nuts. It's like one of those. It's just... It's very like very vaudevillian broad kind of uh, one-liner jokes. The best part about this, though, is as they sort of finish this sketch, Max says something that not only sums up their sketch, but also sums up the entire show. The robot's line at this point, after he watches the sketches, he's, he pauses and he says, That's the funny from 1979? That's what they should have had, like, as, uh, as the quote just at the end of the commercial promoting this. <laughs> I mean, this is as funny as it got in 1979. That's true. That's true. A robot with Sid Caesar's voice, a fake Leno, and some other guy. A <laughs> fake Leno and some other guy who doesn't, he's evocative of nothing, so I can't even pick something else to, to be his part. <laughs> anyway, Max is very unimpressed by their comedy sketch, and he changes their life designations. They're now going to be exhibits in a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> what a turn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we return to Dr. Harlan's apartment and we get another costume change. I've been blown away by the number of costume changes in this episode. All great, too. Yeah, they're all fun. Now they're in a suit jacket and a sweater vest. Dr. Harlan's also changed. She's in like a purple mini skirt with like tights on and this weird like hair donut scrunchie. So her, her hair's in like a straight up ponytail. Yes, yeah, the future. What a future. What a future, yeah. During this scene, she's uh, like at, at her what is essentially just a bar because it's the 1970s, but it's a, like a high-tech bar because there's a lot of lights on it. Right, right. Serving herself a little martini. Mm-hmm. She kind of lays out this idea that like they shouldn't make fun of Max. That's part of the reason he's angry at them and that there's no reason to make fun of anything in the future. There's no reason for ridicule anymore. There's just nothing to make fun of in the future. Yeah, she says everything is, is perfect, so we don't need to make fun of anything anymore. Do you think the premise of the show then is uh, two insult comics save the future? it's probably not far off i I think it really is that idea that it's a really clumsy way of giving the importance of free speech and free will but i think it it just is so ham-fisted that it's just like these two guys but i don't know that that seems like what what the show was going to be so would this pilot have been better if they had cast andrew dice clay as the comedian that came back in time (laughs) well uh, i mean I've seen Andrew Dice Clay's other sitcom, and I don't know how much better that was, but uh, that would have been something. It would have been a lot of like, you know, uh, hey, fiddle, fiddle, and then, you know, something really offensive. I mean, he's a real insult comic. That's true. That's true. <laughs> anyway. Um, Does anyone remember who Dice Clay is? Is that reference so old at this point? I think he had a he had a brief comeback about two years ago, three years ago or something. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. Oh, I think it's done now. <laughs> I just remember he was one of those, uh, uh, where I remember a teacher actually show us, showing part of his bit in school to show us how bad it was and we were all laughing because we were just none of us had ever heard of him before it was one of those like hey kids don't smoke here's a bunch of cigarettes sort of thing and we we're all laughing and then we all got in trouble because we were laughing at dice clay but she brought it in to show us how we shouldn't laugh at it she should have been fired yeah anyway <laughs> um this is kind of where they get into this idea of you know free will or like are you doing what you're supposed to and kind of ask her what she dreamed of doing before she was given a life designation at seven and she kind of tells them she wanted to be a tap dancer and so you know what's going to happen a hilarious scene where she dances yeah they've got a pair of tap shoes that they took off a woman they used to be part of their act that they fired yeah and she puts on the tap shoes and i 
guess she does a good job tap dancing. I'm not sure how to tell what a good job tap dancing is. Well, he, he, I had the same, this, they kind of like, she starts dancing and she's like, oh, I'm a little rusty. And then they sort of like do this really annoying singing sort of thing to get her going and she dances. But it's not clear when she's bad and when she's good or if that's the case. And I think also because the actress is not a dancer. Yeah, it's weird. Like I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't. I couldn't tell you if it was like really that good either. So it seemed fine. The point of the scene is that she sort of uh, she shows that she enjoys dancing and maybe she should have been a dancer. She's been awakened. Yeah. Anyway, at this point, Max calls up on a video screen to tell her, uh, "Hey, the guys are coming to pick up these two jokers to bring him to the zoo," and she basically talks him into letting her keep Chester and Bill because she's going to study them and like make them part of her research and uh Max Max kind of was like all right how could I say no to that pretty face yeah she she she's tried to convince Max that she wants to have like a reverse threes company I mean if it works that one way why not the other exactly <laughs> and he and he goes for it he goes for it and it it ends on a final joke that I was actually I kind of liked and I could have been a great running gag for the entire series, especially in 1979 with these two, like, you know, actors who are probably meant to be somewhat handsome leads. Mm-hmm. But Chester says, oh, thank you so much, Dr. Harland. I could kiss you. And she looks at him with such disgust. And she's like, oh, you're like 120 years old. That's disgusting. And then he says, I think we're going to have a lot of problems finding dates. Very, very funny idea that they're just disgustingly old men in the future. <laughs> And that's it. That's the last line of the sitcom. Can't believe it didn't get picked up. Yeah, I know. It just, it, yeah. I mean, well, we could talk about that now. I, the actual premise is not bad. And as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I think this was a time where anything could go on TV. Like if it worked, it worked. I think the main problem is the casting. I just don't think these guys are particularly funny. Now, maybe they're funny in their own stand-up routine or whatever it is, but it didn't work on this show. And I think if they had had some two more... Uh, charismatic leads you know imagine this was a steve martin or uh chevy chase or someone else up and coming at that time um i think maybe would have been a little bit more made this could have elevated this uh not very good material yeah it's an interesting idea i guess you're right there the they aren't charismatic it's funny i think if anything they really cast these actors or the actors played the characters as i think they are probably envisioned as kind of not very good and like very schlubby and I, I, there's something I found very funny about how understated they were and how, like, kind of stupid. But you're right. I think for a, a sustaining a show, you probably wanted something with a little more charisma. Um, and as I said before, again, I thought it was kind of weird to set up in a future and not really... I don't know. It, it just felt weird to me that there wasn't a lot of, like, futuristic prop comedy. <laughs> not that I really wanted that. I just felt weird that it wasn't there. Yeah, I guess they are so focused on showcasing max and explaining what was happening that yeah i mean they really didn't take advantage of the fact that they were in the future there were not really many gags around it well they did spend 13 dollars on max so they wanted to get their money's worth i mean i loved how like he looked like he could fall apart at any second yeah because it's clearly like a guy in there and it's just it just looked like like one step up from like spray painted cardboard it's insane i loved it um so I know you did the same thing, but I kind of tried to look into the creators of this show. Um, there was two credited co-creators. One of them really didn't end up going to do on anything, but the other one actually had a really prolific movie writing career. You're talking Lowell Yeah, Lowell Gans. He wrote Splash, Ed TV, Multiplicity, City Slickers. Like, you know, no like 
Oscar winners necessarily, but like some pretty classic films in mm. some ways. Yeah, and I think he's currently uh, he he's one of the creators or something like that. It his he has a credit on Parenthood as creating the characters in the show. Right. So I don't know really what that. Well, means, he had but... written the original movie Parenthood. Oh, oh, there you go with uh, Steve Martin. Oh, look at that! It all comes it back. All comes back to Steve Martin, but it is funny because as I was watching it, I'm like, I really should look at who created this show because while it's not necessarily a great execution or even like a you know a perfect show, there's certainly something about it that's very idiosyncratic like it felt like this is someone's voice this is someone's like idea not just anybody could have written these things down and like produced this right so it was interesting to see that at least one of the creators had gone on to have some sort of career afterward writing feature films did you did you look at what the uh the two uh what are the stars of the show went on to i they didn't go on to do anything i know i did i did look at a couple of the credits though john cutler who played chester barnes uh, my favorite credit of his being Underground Tech in The Running Man. Great. Uh, a movie that I really enjoy. And uh, Mark King, who pay, who played uh, Phil Keys. He was in a couple episodes of Cheers and one episode of Remington Steel. No, oh, there you go. Was, was his name Phil or Bill? I kept calling him Bill. It's Phil. Oh, my bad. Yeah, uh, although uh, Karen Valentine, who played Dr. Karen Hartland, she had a pretty long career. Nothing that really stands out as super memorable, but she's been a steady actor since this since this show. Yeah, she and obviously Sid Caesar. Yeah, she clearly had like a, a real long running career. I think she was in one of the Gidget movies very early in her career and like acted for many, many, many years. Weirdly, uh, did you know she played the part of the robot in Rocky Four? Really, Sid Caesar lost out to her. <laughs> nah, not true. <laughs> The, uh, the director, well, having, he's more of a TV director, but he does have a couple credits of note that I, that I noticed is that he'd, uh, directed the My Big Fat Greek Wedding movie. Oh, really? Was that right? Yeah, apparently not the sequel, though. That's just too bad. Didn't come back for it. Do you think that's because, um, he just thought the material wasn't up to, wasn't up to snuff? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't up to his standards, I think. Yeah. Or, or maybe he was dead, but I'm not sure. No, he's still directing. Well, there you go. They didn't, he didn't get the call. Nia Verderos, where were you? I was waiting by the phone. <laughs> Um, what was that yeah, movie called? Know. My Bigger Fat Greek Wedding? It's got to be, right? No, I think it was just My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. Oh, it wasn't My Big my big Fatter Greek Wedding or something like that? No? I don't know. I could be wrong. I never saw it. What do I know? All right. Well, I mean, that's about all I have to say about the show. There's not really much writing on it, so there's not really a lot to talk about background-wise. But yeah, Jordan, I don't know. What do you, you want to rate America 2100? I really enjoyed watching this for a couple of the reasons we mentioned. It was nice. It was a really light, breezy thing to watch. You know, one to finish our season. Secondly, after Dune, which was a little bit uh, longer and a bit of a slog to get through. Um, and also, it was just a fun, silly sitcom. Um, but saying that, it still was really bad. So I'll give it a three to ten. Three out of ten. Wow. You know what? I really enjoyed watching it. I I was thinking about, like, comparing it to some of the other stuff we've watched and, like, I think it's an eight for me. Oh I my gosh, it's not an eight. I had a great time. I, I had a great time watching this. I thought it was super fun, super silly. Yeah, it was terrible. Super though. dumb. I, I had a great time. Wow, eight, huh? I'm surprised you're so low. It was well, pretty no, fun. It's fun, but it's 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 a bad show. I have to rate it on how good it is, and it's it's a three to ten. Well, you can rate it on how much you enjoyed it. Well, that's true, but I mean, there's so many factors that go into that. I mean, that's a lower rating than the Dunes. <laughs> Yeah, this was worse than Dune. I mean, but I'd rather watch this than Dune. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's why I gave it an 8. I'd much rather watch this than Dune. Yeah. I honestly, one of the few things we've watched, maybe not one of the few things we've watched. That's that's a bit harsh, but definitely one of the ones I'd be like, yeah, you should go watch this. It was fun. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. 
But still three to ten. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking to your guns. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've kind of done a full year's worth of episodes, we're actually going to take a bit of a four-week break here. Take a little downtime. We're going to kind of look at the show itself, see what's working, see what's not, to kind of decide what we're going to do next, uh, sort of when we come back in a, in a month's time. So this will be the last episode from us for a little bit. But in the meantime, you'll be able to uh, check out all the, you know, images and videos and w- what's going to be on, on the social media for this for this show, Jordan. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I've already pulled some things and uh, it's, you'll, you'll at least get a taste of what the show is. Wonderful. You can uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at g- at uh, not at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Drag. And then you can email us at gmail.com. Maybe you watch the show when it was on the air. But and also, if you, you know, for, if uh, for a second season, if you got an idea of something you think we should watch, you know, email us. I'm not saying we're going to, but you, know, you can you can try. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Well, It'd be nice to have a little four-week break, but I'll miss you. I'm sure we'll still see each other. We'll never see each other. It won't happen. It'll be exactly like this, just without microphones in our face. I don't know if I'll feel comfortable. (laughs) You can still bring the mic. Okay, good. Uh, Well, until then, Jordan, and to you, listener. Oh, I have no end. All right, bye. I'll see you in 2100. See you in 2100. Oh, thank God, Jordan. You saved the day. Yeah. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>